This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Proverbs chapter 28, verse number one. Uh, there's only one verse that we're going to cover today. And uh, lest you might be new to who we call or not sure how things go around here, just because we only have one verse doesn't mean this message will be short, okay? Uh, the number of verses is not in direct correlation uh, to the length of the message. So just uh, strap in. It's going to be a good one, though. Proverbs chapter 28, uh, verse number one. The Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I have to confess, uh, this past year, really December, uh, I was sitting in my office and I was thinking to myself about the new year and thinking about planning and stuff like that. And I thought to myself, you know what? We're just not gonna have a New Year's theme this year. Uh, we had Magnified Jesus last year and on my, uh, in my office, on my wall, hung the 11 by 17 calendar that we handed out last year. Uh, our vision night service that basically had a, an entire year's worth of events planned out, probably 70 or 80 different events that we had already begun planning for, put on the calendar, put resources and time and energy and effort into, and probably uh, out of those 75 events, maybe 10 of them actually happened. And so I'm sitting there looking at that calendar going, what a waste to even plan ahead, uh, what a waste to even think ahead, like I don't know what 2021 is going to bring, but chances are we're not going to be able to do any of the things that we have planned, so why bother planning? Magnify Jesus is a good thing, we can just roll with that for a little bit longer, and we're going to continue to go through the book of Philippians. And I got really frustrated and kind of uh, bummed out. I, I'm probably the only person who ever gets frustrated and bummed out, but I was. And you know, as I began to sit there and, and soak and sour for a minute, I began to think to myself, we as a church family can't just sit around and allow the circumstances of our day and age to dictate what we do and what we don't do. Well, there's some things that we cannot do. Uh, for example, we used to have what are called home fellowship nights where we would meet here at the church on a, a Sunday evening and then we'd split up and go to seven different homes throughout the island and just hang out in people's houses uh, and, and, and just talk about God's goodness, maybe sing songs or play games or stuff like that uh, as a church family. We can't do that right now. Uh, we used to go probably four times a year over to Almona Beach Park and have a, a cookout over there. We'd grill burgers and hot dogs and watch the fireworks on Friday nights and stuff like that. It was awesome. We can't do that right now. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself all the things that we cannot do. But then I thought to myself, God didn't call us as a church to have cookouts and to go over to people's houses and sing songs. God called us to go, win, baptize, and teach. Can we continue to do those things regardless of what happens in the world today? The answers are resounding, absolutely yes. So we're gonna continue to push forward for the cause of Christ. And if you take a look at the things that are on, your, on the calendar that you just received, what's on there? Uh, discipleship, baptism, uh, evangelism training. We're going to continue doing what the church has always done for the last 2,000 years. We're going to fulfill the Great Commission. And so we're not going to sit around and, and wait to see, uh, you know, whether the case counts go up or down, what tier we're in, what tier we're not in, to determine whether or not we as the church decide to move forward. So we're going to move forward. And so as I thought to myself through this, and I began to, to just read through the Bible, read through scriptures and things like this, this verse, as I read it, just jumped off the page at me like, like six months ago. The fact that the wicked, the fearful, the unbelieving, they're scared all the time even when there's nothing to be scared of. But the righteous, they have a boldness that is a boldness like none other. 
asked you when you came in to fill out anonymously a three by five card of something that you're fearful of, something that you're afraid of. And uh, if you're anything like the first service, was there some in here that are, are, are funny? There's some. Uh, one is a uh, person's fearful of losing their family. Another one, growing up. Yeah, me too. Uh, fearful that their kids don't follow the Lord. Their biggest fear that they would get to heaven and realize that they didn't do enough for God. Abandonment. That if people fully knew me, that they wouldn't love me. Of sexual assault uh, of me or my children. Other people seeing me as I see myself, fear of losing my children, not being able to be a mom, never having a family, driving in the city, uh, to go through this short life and have nothing to show for it, wood, hay, and stubble, uh, the God, afraid that God's taken his hand off of America, uh, afraid that their kids uh, will go to heaven and not be followers, kids would not go to heaven and would not be followers of Christ, fear of failure, fear of failure, fear of darkness. Fear that their family dies, fear of being alone, fear of losing a child. I'm afraid my mother will pass before I get to see her again, and my panic disorder will flare up and I will be hospitalized again. Uh, fear of the incoming president. Uh, fear that my children will not put their faith in Christ and spend eternity separated from us in hell. Afraid of losing my wife and son, losing the trust of people around me. Something bad happening to my children through a fault of my own. Uh, afraid of being alone, afraid, afraid of, uh, can't read your handwriting. Uh, <laughs> This person is afraid of praying mantises. Um, but they're praying. Like that's, I don't mean to minimize your fear if that was you. So uh, I don't want you to think that I'm mocking that. Uh, fear of falling away from Christ. Fear of being alone. Uh, fear that most people aren't believing in God anymore and it shows. Uh, fear of disapproval. Fear of failure. Uh, fear of failure again. Fear of group think. Fear of a loved one dying suddenly. Dying alone. Uh, being lost at sea, uh, being in crowds and talking to them. Uh, my coworkers will accept Jesus and uh, will not accept Jesus and people that I love. Being caught in a burning building, uh, people dying, uh, afraid of myself, family, and friends falling short of the glory of God, losing my children, telling the truth, but people are convinced I'm lying, losing my husband and child, uh, that I'll never amount to anything, losing a child, uh, fear of sharing your faith, fear of not being able to tell someone important in my life goodbye, and I love them before I die or before they die, that I don't live up to Jesus' expectations for me, that I'm foolish, that I'm never enough, uh, fear of my family being killed, and fear of not having healthy children. Woo! How much you? That's heavy, right? Man, the uh, first service wasn't a whole lot better. There was someone who shared my fear of flying cockroaches. That was one of some of these fears. I'm surprised that in this entire stack, not one person said snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. Um, and so, anybody scared of snakes? Yes. If you put me in a room with a snake, one of us will die, and it'll probably be me. Uh, but uh, I don't do snakes. Anybody afraid of clowns? No. Yeah, a handful? Good. Anybody afraid of snake clowns? Oh, okay, good. Uh, but here's the thing. Fear uh, can be a bad thing. Fear might not be a bad thing. Uh, it's important to understand that emotion of fear, it's actually a gift from God. So when the Bible speaks of fear, it generally speaks of it in a, a negative sense, but it's important to understand that the emotion of fear is actually a gift from God. Uh, I have a fear of heights. Anybody else afraid of heights? Terrified of heights. Like when I get on a, a ladder, a light bulb, my palms get sweaty. Uh, so uh, I remember as a kid, uh, our family went to St. Louis. I grew up in Kentucky, and so St. Louis, three and a half hours away or so, we would go sometimes in the summertime to Bush Stadium, watch the Cardinals. It was the closest professional sports team that we had, so we'd go and watch baseball uh, in the summer times. 
And one of my earliest memories was going up in the gateway arch. Anybody ever been up in the arch before? It's, it's uh, terrifying. Uh, and so you, you have this idea that you'll be able to go up there and it'd be really cool. And you get in the elevator. And for those that might be afraid of small enclosed spaces, this would not be good for you. Because the elevator looks like a washing machine that you get inside of. Um, and instead of an uh, elevator going up, it goes up into the side. And so it's this weird sensation as you go up uh, to get to the top of the arch. And so you get to the top of the arch, they have windows where you can look out, and you look over on one side, and you see Bush Stadium, you look over the other side, and see uh, St. Louis. And it's a beautiful, beautiful city, uh, St. Louis, and we went in the summertime. And so uh, I'm up there, and I, as a kid, you know, first thing I do, I run to the window and begin to look out. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I look down, and you can see the sidewalk, and you can see people walking along the sidewalk and stuff like that. And then you see the sidewalk disappear, and you see the sidewalk reappear. And then it disappears, and then it reappears. And you're like, oh no, this thing's going to fall because it's swaying back and forth while you're in the top of it. And then once you see that, you can't not feel it, right? And the whole time up there, I'm just panicked. I'm flipping out. I'm screaming. I'm crying. Get me out of here. I got to get out of here. And it's like, okay, well, it's time to go. You got to get back in this washing machine and ride it back down. I don't want to get in the washing machine. Well, it's the only way you have to get, to get down. And it's just like, I was terrified. From that point forward, heights and me, uh-uh, I don't do them at all. But I was terrified of that. And so it's funny, we have these experiences in life that grip us with fear. And some of them have long lasting effects. But in in the case of fear, of the emotion of fear, fear is actually an emotion that protects us from danger. If you're standing on the edge of a building and you see yourself about to fall and you're fearful, that's your body's way of saying, hey, knucklehead, back up so that you don't die. And so the emotion of fear that we have is a very, very healthy thing. Uh, For me, uh, at night, uh, I'm always super aware when I'm walking here in the city of who's behind me, who's walking behind me. And so when I'm walking alone and I hear footsteps behind me, I immediately stop and look to see who's behind me every single time. Now, that fear or awareness or whatever else you want to call it is what keeps people alive. If I'm not watching and not paying attention, some knucklehead clubs me over the head with a baseball bat, then my fear didn't kick in, which gave me the ability to survive. And so fear actually keeps us alive. It's, it's hardwired into our survival instinct. It's not necessarily a bad thing, the emotion of fear itself. There's a man who, uh, a coworker had invited to our church uh, who had been uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan and had been in, in combat. And uh, he came back and he was struggling with what uh, the world would call post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. It's important to understand that while post-traumatic stress is definitely a real thing, the word disorder is a misnomer in the fact that it says something is wrong with you. No, if you have seen terrible things and you have a heightened sense of awareness that has kept you alive, that's what your body is supposed to do. Uh, And so the fact that when he would hear a a loud uh, noise outside and his adrenaline started pumping, that wasn't a disorder, that's actually by design. That was actually a really, really good thing. And he said, well, pastor, when I go to to Alamona, I go to the mall, he goes, and people are carrying shopping bags. He goes, I'm looking in people's shopping bags as they walk past me every single time. When I go to a restaurant, he goes, I have to sit back against the wall and watch the, the entrances and exits at all times. And every single person that walks in, he goes, I'm looking them up and down. And I said, that's not a bad thing. I said, that's what kept you alive. That's what you got you back here in one piece. That's not a bad thing. The problem is now we need to figure out how we take that and adapt it when there is no danger. 
And so when he was in Iraq and Afghanistan, fear and his reaction to that is what kept him alive. And so it's wired into our survival instincts to feel the emotion of fear. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But fear is problematic when we're fearful in the absence of danger. That's what Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flees when no one's pursuing them. There's no present sense of danger whatsoever, but yet we're fearful. We're scared. But there's not really any danger to be fearful of. For example, let's say that I live in fear of snakes. I'm afraid that I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night, there's going to be a snake in my bed. I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, I'm going to open up a box from Amazon, there's going to be a snake there. I'm afraid that, uh, you know, the, the things that I hear rattling around in my ceiling at night are snakes that are coming to get me. I'm afraid that uh, snakes are going to uh, come up stairs to my house and come into my living room and they're going to, you know, kill my dog. And uh, these snakes, I'm just consumed with it. You'd say, well, did you know that there's no snakes in Hawaii? I know, but I'm still afraid. Well, you're, you're afraid of something when there's no danger whatsoever. And you would allow those thoughts to consume you when there's actually nothing to be afraid of whatsoever. And so fear becomes problematic when we're afraid when there's no sense of danger. I remember when the, uh, for those that were here, when we received the missile alert uh, a couple of years ago saying that there was an incoming missile to Hawaii, this is not a drill, uh, seek shelter. And uh, my wife and I had just been talking like two weeks earlier that, you know, North Korea is going to do something stupid and shoot at us because we're the closest thing to the United States. And we get an alert on our phone, and sure enough, here it is. And there was a fear because there was a present sense of danger. And then they called it off and said, well, that was actually a false alarm. Everything's fine. No, no danger whatsoever. But there were people who still for weeks and months later were still fearful. But there wasn't any sense of danger, but they continued that sense of fear. That's the type of fear that becomes problematic because that type of fear, when we're not in danger, begins to influence our life in ways that fear begins to make calls for us that it shouldn't have the right to be able to make. Fear consumes the lives of those people who do not live by faith. Now we're gonna unpack this a little bit in this, uh, in this passage this morning, the, the relationship between fear and faith. They're not exclusive of each other. Just because you have the emotion of fear doesn't mean that you're not living by faith. Uh, and so just because you're living by faith doesn't mean you can't at the same time be scared to a certain uh, degree. Sometimes people say, well, well, faith is the opposite of fear and fear is the opposite of faith. We don't find that in scripture anywhere. We find that the two of those coexist together in a healthy relationship. But when we look at fear, the way that it consumes us, it doesn't allow us to live a life of faith. It's interesting, Revelation chapter 21, verse number eight says, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. These are the people that are going to hell. And you look at that list and you say, wow, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Wow, that's a pretty rough crowd there. The very first two people that Revelation 21.8 mentions is the fearful and the unbelieving. So we have to look at this. One who is consumed by fear. One who lives a life of fearfulness is not someone whose life pleases God. It's not someone who's willing to live by faith. It's interesting, the very first place in the entire Bible that fear is mentioned ever. You know where it is? The Garden of Eden. God says, Adam, where are you at? Adam says, 
Uh, I'm here, God. I hid myself because I'm naked and I was afraid. And God says, wait a minute. Who told you you were naked? The only way you would know you were naked is if you ate of the tree that I told you not to. And Adam said, I knew I'd done wrong and I was scared. I was afraid. And we see that fear is a logical consequence of sin. Prior to sin entering into the world, there was no fear. There was nothing to be afraid of. And if you take a look at the list of the things that the people in this room are fearful of, they're fearful of death, they're fearful of failure, they're fearful of sickness, they're fearful of their children living their lives in opposition to God's word, they're fearful for people that they know and love spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell. They're fearful of what other people think of them or how people perceive them. They're fearful of have they done enough to earn God's favor. <laughs> Every single one of these is traced back to sin. People in the first service, were, we had three or four cards of people that were scared of COVID. <laughs> COVID is a result of the sinful condition of man because prior to, to the fall in the Garden of Eden, there was no sickness. There was no death. There was nothing to be afraid of. So we see the root of living a life that is rooted in fear really just goes back to a sinful condition. And fear crowds out the ability for us to be able to live for God. And it's no coincidence that when we live in a godless society, fear will run the show. That's really critical to understand because our world is set up to make you afraid. Think about that for a second. When you think to yourself of what your neighbors have, what kind of car they drive, how they uh, have upgraded their house, or how they've put in uh, better landscaping than you have, or how uh, this person that you know makes more money than you did, or somebody who used to work for you uh, got promoted and you didn't get promoted and things like that. All that leads back to fear, all that's rooted in fear. Do I have enough? Have I done enough? People think enough of me. Should I get or education? Should I look for a different job? Should I get advanced in the job that I currently have? Should I make more money? Should I dress better? Should I lose weight? Should I become more attractive? Should I get plastic surgery so that people think that I look better? All of that is rooted in fear. All of it. And one of the things that completely and totally grinds my gears over everything that's happened in the last 12 months in America is almost every single politician that gets the opportunity to speak speaks in fear. I know you're afraid. I know that you're scared. And we should be scared. This is very deadly. This is very serious. People are dying every single day. We have reason to fear. You need to stay home. You only need to go out if you need to go. And please understand, I'm not minimizing the, the effects, the seriousness of this disease. I'm telling you this, that these folks are leading by fear. And when we live in a world that is a godless society, of course we're going to be overrun by fear. But you say to a Christian who lives according to faith and according to God's word, hey, something's out there that's going to cause people to die. You know what we're going to say? Yeah, no kidding. No, you don't understand. People are dying every single day. I know. No, you don't understand. 
how serious this is. Oh, no, as a Bible-believing Christian, I do know how serious this is. I know that, that the year before last, before people were, were ordered to stay home, 30,000 people died by drunk driving death. I know that. That's 100% preventable. I know people in the tens of thousands died by suicide that were alcohol and drug-induced. I know that those are 100% preventable deaths. I know that last year in America, hundreds of thousands of children were born dead in the womb, were killed in the womb, didn't give the opportunity for life. I know that. I know that's serious. I know that black lives matter. That means unborn black babies too. I know that Planned Parenthood was set up to actually wipe out minorities because anybody that does five minutes of research and Google's name Margaret Sanger will realize that Planned Parenthood was set up to kill minority babies. Do your research. So again, I know that people are dying. I know this is serious, but add it to the list of serious things that people are dying from. But I'm not going to be led by fear because somebody says that I should be afraid. No, Christians don't live that way because there will always be something to be afraid of. I don't know about you. I can't stomach the news. I don't, I don't watch the news on TV. I read very little news. I skim headlines on my phone. I read local news because I think it's important to know what our governor says and what our mayor says and how that would affect the things that we do here uh, in Honolulu and how that might affect how we can have uh, churches and gatherings and things along those lines. I, I try to stay up on that. But look, at the end of the day, I can't digest everything that's coming my way. I saw one headline a couple of weeks ago that said this, Americans are now paying the price for celebrating the holidays. And it talked about the spike in cases that we had due to people gathering for the holidays. Paying the price for celebrating the holidays. What, we're not supposed to celebrate? You know, again, is that the, the, the alternative? That we don't celebrate together because everyone will, quote, pay the price? And again, if you begin to do the research on this, you'll realize that a lot of this is fear when there's no need for fear. And so, again, we have to, at the end of the day, say there's always going to be something there to scare you. There's a new variant of the coronavirus that's more contagious now. It's broken out in the UK. That's where it started. They locked everything down, and it's left the UK, and it's now in the United States. What are you going to do about that? I don't know. I'm not really concerned about it because at the end of the day, I can't live in fear of the next big thing that's coming because please understand this. When this is over and done with, there's going to be something two years from now to be scared of. There's going to be something two years from then to be scared of. And there will always be something to be fearful of. I remember when I was a kid, it was AIDS uh, and it was the HIV and they began to do a lot of uh, things and began to talk a lot about that. And again, is HIV and AIDS real? Definitely. Is it something to be concerned with? For sure. This is something that we need to be concerned with every single day. There are people who didn't go to the dentist because people were getting AIDS at the dentist's office. There are people who still have never gone to the dentist because they're afraid all these years later. So again, will we continue to be led by fear? I say no. I say we are led by faith. And so again, if we live in a godless society, fear will rule the day. But for us as Christians, we can say no. Fear doesn't, doesn't hold us back. We're going to live by faith. Fear is also paralyzing. Fear causes us to stop in our tracks like a deer in headlights and just panic. I have to admit, when uh, all of this went down, we had a, a group of about 10 or 12 guys that met here at the church in the lobby uh, before the very first shutdown that we had. 
And we began to talk about what we could do as a church, what we couldn't do, and they were limiting social gatherings together. Did that affect us as a church? Did it not? What could we do to still keep people healthy and to make sure that we kept safe and things along those lines? And uh, I'll be the first to admit, I was paralyzed by fear in that meeting. And I said, guys, we don't have an online ministry. We don't have like where we can just have church online. And I said, and secondly, nobody's gonna gather their family together at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and sit on the couch and watch church on the internet. People don't do stuff like that. That's not gonna work. Nobody's gonna attend a Bible study on Wednesday night that's online. People don't do stuff like that. And we gotta figure out something to do because that's not gonna work for us. And I was paralyzed by fear. Well, what do we do then? I don't know what we do. I just know what's not going to work. And I was paralyzed by fear. And one of our men, I'll never forget it, fellow to be honored, he said this uh, in regards to the situation. We went around and everybody was kind of sharing their thoughts. And he said this. He said, well, I just refuse to be led by fear. And I heard that and I was just like, yeah. Because everything that I was saying, everything and everything that I was feeling was all fear-based. You know, I thought to myself, what if people leave our church and never come back ever again? And you know what? That happened. And you know what? The net result was our church continues to go forward for the cause of Christ. What if people stop giving? How will we pay our bills? You know what? We've never missed a payment on anything. Our, our church is in zero debt whatsoever. God has always provided for every single bill we've ever had. We've never been late on a single solitary thing. And our church owes nobody anything. And God has provided every step along the way for that every single time, and he's never failed. And so again, we look back at things that, that would cause us to fear, and so we don't really have a need to be led by fear. That's why if you read the quotes that are on the wall as you come in the atrium, one of the very first quotes, I refuse to be led by fear, that was deep to me, because that's exactly what the Bible says for us as believing Christians, that fear doesn't call the shots for us as Christians. We don't have to be paralyzed by fear. Fear is not only paralyzing, but fear is also contagious. The more that you're scared, the people around you get scared. And again, this is not a flaw. This is a design. God has created us as human beings to survive. That when we're in place in situations of great peril, our survival instincts kick in. Our, our adrenaline gets pumped up and we begin to be uh, more hyper aware of things that are going on around us. That's, that's just human nature. <laughs> I told my wife the other day, I said, uh, I was reading this article the other day on psychology today, and she goes, wait, you read psychology today? And I go, yeah. And she goes, you're weird. <laughs> yeah, you knew that when you married me. But anyways, I read this really cool article, and I was saying this, I thought this is interesting. And again, this comes from psychology today. When the nose picks up chemo signals from the sweat of distressed people we may not be consciously alarmed, but our brains take note. In other words, you can smell fear on other people and your brain automatically takes note of that. Isn't that interesting? Our instinctual response includes raised eyebrows and eyelids, which studies show increases our range of vision. Quick eye movement help us determine where others are looking, all useful in an emergency. Seeing, seeing fearful faces suggests a recent study also influences the attentional capacity inducing us to take a broader array of information in than usual. After catching the fear, we may continue the chain reaction, alerting others with our wide open eyes, stunned cries, or critical rich sweat. Isn't that crazy? That when you sense fear around other people, your senses automatically get heightened. You automatically become more aware. That uh, there's been times before where my wife and I are at the mall, and she'll go, 
goodness. And I'll immediately like, where is the threat? What's going on? What is happening? And she'll realize, oh, I found something at Target. It's just like, what the world? Why would you do that to me? You know, I just about had a heart attack because I thought present I'm ready. My, my, again, my eyes got wide. I, I took a deep breath as well. I began to look around as far as what was happening. Was someone in danger? No, she forgot something at Target. Goodness. But here's the thing. God designed us that way. You know why? Because we're in, when we're in a crowd and bad things are happening, everyone can survive. The problem is when everyone around us is fearful, yet there's no present danger. There's nothing really to be afraid of. We pick that up and we feed off of that. And so fear is contagious. This is why it's so important that in our homes, that our husbands and fathers lead by faith in our family. Hey, folks, we're just going to continue to move forward by faith. We're just going to continue to do what God's called us to do. Whatever happens, happens. It's in God's hands. And we want to continue to lead by faith. And so, again, we can't allow our faith to be trampled over by fear. And again, a fear that's not necessarily founded in anything other than what this world has to offer. The emotion of fear itself is not a sin, that's a God-given gift, but living in fear is. The emotion of fear is not a sin, but to live a life of fear, to be scared every single day, that's not a life that honors the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six says this, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's impossible for you to please God if you're living by fear. Only faith pleases God. It's not improbable to please God. It's impossible to please him. Take a look at Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no man pursues. <laughs> Notice he didn't say the scared he didn't say, the fearful flee when no man pursues. Notice he didn't say, the scaredy cats flee when no man pursues. He says, the wicked. It's important to understand that living a life of fear is a sin. You see, fear leaves no room for faith. If you think of your heart as a finite container, maybe you want to think of it as like a, a pie chart, the more fear that your heart has, the less real estate there is for faith. And your fear crowds out faith where fear now begins to run the show and faith doesn't have a room to stand. That's why, again, the, the statement you know, that fear is the opposite of faith doesn't really hold water because the Bible speaks of the two working together that we're to live by faith, not by fear. When Jesus talks to uh, the apostles on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4, they wake him up and they say, Master, care thou not that we perish. The, the storm's coming. The boat's filling up with water. You don't even care. You're just asleep. Here's what Jesus says. He said to him, why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? Why are you so afraid and you don't even have a smidge of faith? Not even a little bit. And so he said, you've allowed yourself to be overrun by fear, that you panicked, and that your only thought of how to survive was to wake me up. How is it that you have no faith? And so again, fear will crowd out that faith. So we can still act 
in faith, yet still have the emotion of fear. I'll be honest, starting who we call a Baptist church for us was uh, an exciting experience for sure. That very first Sunday that we had, I was so full of faith. I knew that God was going to do something great. I knew that God was beginning to do something great. That very first Sunday, I knew for sure that my family of five was going to be here. Uh, I knew that the Gregories were going to be here. I knew that the Paybodies were going to be here. I knew that. And so we had about uh, 12 people that we knew for sure that were going to show up that first Sunday. But what happened after that, we didn't know. And frankly, I knew that God was going to do something great, but I was a little bit nervous. And so faith and fear can, can coexist, but we can't allow fear to crowd out our faith. And what I found was in those very first few weeks, the more that my faith grew, the less and less fear that I had. So it's not necessarily that we will live a fearless Christian life. It's the idea that we would fear less and have more faith. When the Bible says that the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous shall be bold as a lion, our confidence that we have is not a self-confidence. This is not like I'm going to pump myself up and get myself ready. This is not I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and smack myself in the face until I get fired up and kind of white knuckle it through life. And my confidence is in me and how good I am and how strong I can be. No, myself, my resources, very limited. My strength, very, very limited. My boldness in myself, I know who I am and I know what I'm capable of and I don't have a lot of faith in myself. But you see, we can trust in the person of God. We can trust in who God is. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. He's getting ready to uh, rise again the third day victorious from the grave. 40, 40 days later, he'll ascend into heaven. He's going to leave his apostles on their own from that point forward. And here's what he says in John 14, number one. John 14, one, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believed in God. Believe also in me. Don't worry. Don't let your heart be filled with fear. But if you have faith in God, have faith in me too. And so we can rest in the promises of God. We can rest in the, the truth of God's word. We can rest in the person of who Jesus Christ is. We need to understand that the God that called Abraham to leave his home into a land which he didn't know is the same God that you and I serve. The God that preserved Isaac's life when he was getting ready to be sacrificed by his own father, that's the God that we serve. The God of Jacob, that's the God that we serve. The God of Moses, that's the God that we serve. The God of David, that's the God that we serve. And I can trust him. We're talking, we had a group of men gathered together yesterday. We were talking about God's faithfulness and having faith. Talk about the story of David and Goliath and how David says, oh, God delivered me from the mouth of a lion. God delivered me from a bear. <laughs> He's going to deliver me from this giant as well. I got no problem with that. You know why? Because he trusted in the Lord. God's got this. Do I fear the coronavirus? No. I might drop dead from it next week. And here's the thing. I don't fear it though. Because I know that God is faithful. I know that God's in control. I know that God is sovereign. And when it's my time to go, look, folks, it's my time to go. Whether I get hit by a bus this afternoon or whether I fall asleep at 110. When it's my time, it's my time. And God is sovereign over that. There's nothing you or I can do to stop it. I think it was uh, comedian Will Rogers who said, I know that works because everything that I've worried about has never come to fruition. 
And it's the idea that, that, you know, worry doesn't cause anything. Here's the thing. Jesus himself said this. How many of you, by being worried, can add one inch to your height? How many? None of you can. Because at the end of the day, God is sovereign over all things. And so we can trust in the Turn your Bibles to, over to Psalm 91, if you would. I was going to read this verse for you, but I want you to read it for yourself. Psalm 91, verse number one. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with the feathers under his wings. Shalt thou trust, thy truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be the terror by night, nor by the arrow that flieth by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness, for, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. We don't have time to deconstruct all this this morning, but I want you to see in verse number two, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge. He's the place that I run to when I'm scared. When I am fearful, that's where I go. He's my fortress. When I'm fearful for my safety, that's where I go because he will protect me. He's a place that I can go find rest in. I can find protection in. And I love what verse number two says, my God. Not some God out there, not a God, not somebody else's God. No, it's my God that's going to care for me because he's looking out for me specifically. In him will I trust. So you can trust in the Lord. He's sovereign. He knows what you need before you even ask, the Bible says. So you can trust him. Secondly, you can trust in the promises of God. God's word is so good, so good. And I'm telling you this, if you're struggling with fear, mega dose on the Bible. If you find yourself living in fear, read through the book of Psalms and meditate on it and find some scripture that is yours, that, that God wrote just for you because there's so much encouragement in the word of God. If you're struggling with fear, anxiety, concern, God's word is everything that you need. If you're struggling with discouragement, God's word is exactly what you need. If you're struggling with faith, God's word is what you need, I'm telling you. This morning I was reading uh, John chapter two in my devotions and man, it was just, it was water to my soul. I got to John chapter three. Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. He says, no man shall be the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And then he says, John the Baptist is talking a little bit later in, in John chapter three. I think it's John 3, verse 29, he says this. He's talking about how John the Baptist was not the Messiah, wasn't the Christ, but he was a friend of the bridegroom. The bridegroom or the groom being Jesus Christ, the bride being all those that Christ would bring to himself to be saved, the church. And John says this, John the Baptist says this, he says, I'm a friend of the bridegroom who rejoices at the sound of his voice. And I thought to myself, that's so good. I want to love Jesus so much that everything he says, I rejoice at. I find joy in it. I'm like, yeah, that's good. Oh, man. And just as I read that, I, I have to confess, I've read John chapter 3 probably 100, 200. But this morning, it just like jumped off the page of me and grabbed a hold of my heart. 
And that's what God's word wants to do for you if you're willing to put your trust in it. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And it speaks about the, the hope that we have and the promises of God's word. Psalm 119.92, here's what uh, the psalmist says. Unless thy law had been my delight, I should have perished in my affliction. If it hadn't been for the promises of God's word, I would have been dead. But, he says, I'll never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me or made me alive. I would have died if it hadn't been for your word, but because of it, I'm gonna meditate on that, and that's what keeps me alive. That's what keeps me going. And here's the crazy thought about that. David, as he wrote Psalm 119, he had five books of the Bible available to him. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Five books is all he had, but he was consumed with how helpful and encouraging those were. Can you imagine somebody finding the book of Leviticus encouraging? Have you ever read the book of Deuteronomy? It's not one of those books that you read and you're just like, oh, I love the Lord, he's so good. But here's the thing. God's word is always good. And it's always helpful. And always helps us to live by faith. Next, we can trust in the people of God. Did you know that God didn't create you to live the Christian life solo on your own? God created you to live with it in community with other Christians. And again, at the sounding like a broken record, I'm going to do it anyways, but you need to be a part of a small group. You need to be involved in community outside of our regular Sunday gatherings. You need to connect with your church family on a regular basis, whatever that looks like for you. You need to be a part of that. If you haven't gone through discipleship, you need to sign up for it and go through discipleship because you need another Christian in your life that's looking out for you. Everybody needs that. And another uh, study that done on fear, researchers at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and the University of Texas, San Antonio. They gauged social cohesion or the connection that people had in neighborhoods by asking people how many people in their neighborhood they knew by name. How many people do you know in your neighborhood by name? And here's what they found. They found that regardless of the crime rate in the communities, residents with a more robust local social networks were less fearful. That they could live in a crime-ridden neighborhood, but if they knew the names of their neighbors, they automatically were less fearful. Isn't that interesting? That psychology tells us that the more people you know and the more people you're connected with, the less fearful you'll be. That's why it's so important for us to be in community together. I talked with two separate folks this morning who said uh, that their husbands were leaving uh, for some military duty for the next two months. And we as a community, we as a family, get the opportunity to step in and say, hey, we're there for you. Whatever you need, we got you. And that allows them to be a little bit less fearful because they know that there's people around them that are looking out for them, that are there for them, that are on their side, that are their family. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, the family of God. That's what it means to be a real deal Christian. And so again, that's why it's so important that we stay connected to one another, not just on Sunday mornings, but every other day throughout the week. But you see, our boldness comes not from self-confidence, but our boldness really comes from following a righteous path. Again, it says, the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flees when no man pursues, but the righteous, they're bold as a lion. But our righteousness is not a self-righteousness. It's not a what we can do. Our righteousness comes from the person of Jesus Christ. If you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this because this gives you the foundation to have boldness and faith and confidence. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. The Bible says that we are born into this world as 
sinners in opposition to God. Romans chapter 5 says that we're born into this world as enemies of God. The Bible tells us that we're born as the children of wrath, the children of disobedience, that we are not automatically born into the family of God, that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, and our sin has a price. The price of that, God's punishment for sin, is death and hell separated from God for all of eternity. The only hope that you or I have for eternity is this, Jesus died in our place. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt because I put my faith and trust in Jesus that when I die, I'm going to heaven, no questions asked. Not because I'm a good person or because I've done good things, not because I'm really religious, not because I'm a pastor. I am going to heaven when I die because I've been saved, because I've been born again. I was a nine-year-old boy when I accepted Christ as Savior when I was born again. There's never been a time, a date, a place for you when you've been saved. Let today be that day. If you're not 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven when you die, you can do this today. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ for your salvation. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved from my sin. And I'm asking God to forgive me of my sins and save me. If you would do that today, you could be saved. You don't have to become a Baptist. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to go through catechism or answer a bunch of questions. You just have to say, I believe that Jesus is died for my sins, and I'm asking him to save me today, and he will save you like that. And friend, you will be adopted into the family of God. God will be your father. You'll be his child. You'll have the access to all the promises of God's word, and you can live in a boldness like you've never known before. I don't fear death because I know what happens after this life. I don't fear what's coming to me because God's word already tells me what's coming to me. I don't fear what comes tomorrow because I know God holds tomorrow. It's a song we used to sing when I was a kid. So many things about tomorrow I can't seem to comprehend, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. I don't sweat tomorrow because I know that God's already got tomorrow taken care of. The Bible even tells us don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems. Worry about today. Just live for today. Trust in the Lord. He'll take care of you. But friend, if you've never been saved, you're 100% on your own. And when you die, you'll be 100% on your own, separated from God for all of eternity. You need to be saved today. And that opens for you a new life, a new beginning, a new confidence, a new hope, a new faith, a new life, and a new eternal life. You need to be saved. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that is now and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation for therefore we labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. You see, for righteous, God's got a path laid out for us. God tells us what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. Follow the path and you'll be fine. Continue to follow God's ways and you'll never be disappointed. Continue to trust in the Lord and your faith will continue to grow. Continue to step out by faith and God will meet you in your faith with his provision every single time. 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says this, charge them that are rich in this world, they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us all things richly to enjoy. Don't trust in what you see, trust in the Lord. Don't trust in, in what you can figure out, trust in God's plan. Follow by faith, and you can have the boldness and confidence saying, hey, God's in charge of this. I'm not sweating it. Today, uh, do you believe that the, the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast? I don't know, but I'm not worried about it. 
you're not worried about the mark of the beast. No, here's the fact of the matter. When the tribulation comes, I'm gone. I ain't sweating it. And so is it the mark of the beast? Is not? I don't know. Is the Pope the Antichrist? I don't know. When is the end of the world coming? I don't know. But here's what I do know. When the time comes, I'm ready. And because I'm ready, I'm going to help as many people as I know to get ready. That's it. And I don't know about any of the other stuff, but I have full faith and assurance. Friend, if I didn't have the Lord, I didn't have the promises of God's word, and I was 100% on my own here, I would not be fearful. I would be terrified. Terrified. I don't know what's going to happen after this life. I don't know if I'm going to get sick. I don't know who's going to get sick. I don't know who's going to die. People close to me might die. And I got to do everything I can to hold on to that because this life is all that we know for sure. If I'm not living by faith, of course you're living by fear. Of course you'll be ruled by fear. But friend, if you call yourself a Christian and you believe God's word to be true, we can't afford to live by fear. I'm going to continue to live by faith, trusting the Lord. And again, I'm not talking about just this sickness here because there's going to be another sickness two years from now. There's going to be another disease 10 years from now. There's going to be something to be afraid of next week. I'm talking about the way that we live our lives as Christians. We cannot afford to be ruled by fear. One author said this in terms of Proverbs 28.1. He says, the lion's not afraid of the onset of beasts because he knows well that he's stronger than them all. Once the fearlessness of a righteous man is rightly compared to a lion because when he beholds any rising against him, he returns to the confidence of his mind and knows that he overcomes all of his adversaries because he loves him alone whom he cannot in any way lose against his will. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to go to the Honolulu Zoo. It's an awesome place. Like a zoo right in the middle of a city is, is crazy to me. And it's funny because when you go see the giraffes that are native to Africa, you see these big, huge animals and their big, long necks. And you can't help but notice in the background, there's like a, a four high-rise apartment complex right behind that. And people, uh, some guy standing out on his, his uh, lanai smoking a cigarette out there. And you're just like, these two things don't go together. And you look past the giraffes, and there's like palm trees over here, and you see the ocean over there. And you're like, this is wild, you know? Here in the middle of the city, this, all these animals, crazy. But you walk in, you see the flamingos, those are cool. You see the monkeys, everybody loves the monkeys, they're so much fun. You see the hippopotamus, this animal's like the size of a car. Amazing, majestic animals. But I'm telling you this, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're standing in the parking lot or you're anywhere inside the fence line, the second that you hear that lion roar, you know what's up. Everybody stops and goes, Whoa, what was that? You could be standing in the parking lot and hear it. And it's just like, that was the lion. Everybody stops. And the lion's not concerned like, oh, I don't want to make too much noise over here. <laughs> the lion's not concerned that somebody's going to come into his, his area and, and take his food. No, he knows what's up. He runs the show. He calls the shots. That's why the lion's been called the king of the jungle. Notice the Bible didn't say that the, the righteous shall be bold as the dodo bird. <laughs> the righteous shall be bold as the moose. You know? No, the lion. That we as the righteous can have the boldness that a lion has. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people have to say about me. I don't really care what you think about the way that I live my life or the way that I raise my children in accordance to God's word. I've got a path that I'm following and I'm not trying to hear what you have to say about that. 
The lion doesn't stop to, to feel like if he's accepted or not accepted. He knows what he has to do and he just does it and he lives his life. We need that same level of boldness. Five final thoughts we're done here today. First of all, fear causes us to follow the world. Faith emboldens us to live for Jesus. Again, this world is set up to make you be afraid. Social media, for all the good that it has, has 10 times more negative effects on us. It causes us to fear that our life isn't being lived to its potential. I'm not making enough money. I don't have enough stuff. My kids don't go to a good enough school. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not rich enough. I don't take good enough vacations. I'm not a good photographer. My phone stinks. It doesn't take pictures like this person's pictures over here. My kids aren't cute enough. It begins to cause us to have fear that what we have isn't enough, and it's set up to fail. But faith says... I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. I can live for him and not be concerned with what the world thinks about me. There's people in this room that that nobody knows you're a Christian because you're afraid to tell people. Don't be afraid of that. Again, we live in a society today that encourages everyone to live their authentic self and be willing to be out there because we support you and we want you to be diverse and we want you to be who you are. And you have the freedom and the boldness to do that. Unless you're a Christian. Keep your mouth shut on that. Because you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a right-wing nut job, you're a Bible-thumping nutcase, You need to be quiet while everybody else celebrates diversity. I'm not buying that. You can't sell me that because I'm not buying it. Well, then then we'll label you. You can label me what you want. I don't bow to your labels. I don't bow to a fear of what you think. The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It's a setup. It's a fake. It's a phony. It's a hypocrite. It's a diversionary tactic by the enemy to keep me from living a bold Christian life. And I'm not buying it. I'm not. So I choose to live by faith in the boldness that comes from Jesus Christ. And again, Jesus says, if the world hates you, just know that it hated me first. It's fine. Don't sweat it. But I'm willing to stick my neck out there and say, I'm a Christian. It doesn't mean I hate people. It doesn't mean I want people to die. It doesn't mean that everybody who's different than me, I'm automatically against. You know, the funny thing is, is that the term homophobia or transphobia, the word phobia means scared of. I'm not scared of anybody that's different. I think we need to coin the term Christophobia, that people are scared of Christians or people dislike Christians. Hey, look, I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm, here's the thing, I'm not against anybody. But I'm just gonna stand with God's word when the Bible says that God created them male and female, that God says that there are two genders that he assigns And that just is what it is. And and if that makes people mad, I'm sorry. I'm just interpreting God's word. I'm just standing with God. And, And I'm not against you. If you're something else, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I love you. I want you to come to truth. I will pray for you. I will be your friend. I will be there for you if you need a friend or somebody to talk to. But please understand, I don't agree with what you do, but I love you anyways. And that's okay. But we need to be willing to say, I want to stick my neck out and call myself a Christian and I don't really care what people think about it. <laughs> Fear's contagious, but so is faith. You know what I found is that probably in your workplace there's some Christians who are not out yet. 
that when you come out and say, I'm a Christian, they might say, hey, me too. There might be a neighbor that you have that you say, hey, I go to church, would you like to come with me? Oh, I'm a Christian. Really? I never knew that. And there might be somebody that you have the opportunity to influence just because you're willing to be bold and out there. Faith is contagious. Maybe you have somebody in your family that's not saved yet, but they see the change that's taking place in your life and they say, I don't know what's going on with you, but I want what you got. I'm not sure what you found, but I'm interested in exploring that a little bit. Faith is contagious. That if we're willing to step out and live by faith, other people say, hey, I can do that too. Hey, I'm for that. I, I can totally do that. The other thing for me is when we started Who We Call, I remember thinking to myself, I am not qualified to start a church. I've never pastored before. I've never been a senior pastor of a church before. I've never started a church before. I'm not, smart. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I don't know the Bible more than anybody else. I don't know that I'm necessarily capable of doing this. But then I began to read the Bible and I realized that when Jesus called, he didn't look for the most religious, smart people in the scriptures he could find. He found guys who were willing to say, do this and obey. And you know what he did? He chose fishermen, he chose tax collectors, he chose outcasts of society and says, can you follow directions? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, come with me. And so I don't really know what to do other than just to follow the instructions. And by the grace of God, God's willing to use anybody who's willing to just be obedient and follow the instructions. So again, faith allows us to do that. It's contagious. So I see the faith of people in the Bible and I say, I want that same faith. I can have that same faith because I serve the exact same God. You'll find also that faith is a muscle that grows the more that you use it. The more that you exercise your faith, the stronger your faith will become. When things come now, the faith steps that I've taken in the past, I can come to those a little bit easier. Hey, our family's already been ravaged by sickness before, and God's brought us through it, and he's been faithful. I'm not sweating sickness this time around. God has already strengthened our family, and so I'm not really concerned about what this or the other might do to our family. I've seen what God's done in our church over the last seven years, so I don't really have any faith, any uh, fear of what God's going to do in the next 12 months because I have a whole lot of faith. I saw what we have today. God grew from just a, a tiny gathering of people in October of 2013. I see what God's done over the last seven plus years, and you know what? I'm not really concerned about what he's going to do over the next 12 months. I'm really looking forward to what he's going to do. I see, I see how God, through our church, has grown our church in a global pandemic, actually grown up spiritually stronger than we were this time last year, and I say, God's going to do something awesome in the year ahead. I look at our church and the way that God has brought people to our church. Do this for me this morning. If you are new to our church in the last nine months, would you raise your hand? Isn't it amazing that God adds to people in a church where some churches are still closed? There are churches in our city that are still closed since March, haven't met. I'm not talking about our online only since March. I'm talking about haven't met since March. We're coming up on 12 months. These people haven't even gathered together one time to worship, yet God continues to grow our church in the midst of that. Is it everything we've done? No, it's everything that God has done. So you know what that does for me? I'm not fearful about 2021. I'm really excited about 2021. Well, what if things get worse? Hey, things might get worse, but you know what? God's always going to be faithful. Hey, maybe we'll have to dial things back. Maybe we'll have to crank things up. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know God's faithful. And again, I have that boldness 
because I know who God is and I know what he's done. Next, fear causes us to question God's goodness and faithfulness. So we just need to trust in God's track record and his word. <laughs> you see, when fear comes, I say, oh, maybe God's not good. Maybe God's not faithful. Maybe God's not going to take care of us. Maybe God's not going to provide for us. And fear grips us. Hmm. I admit, when all this happened, first couple of days, I was fearful. What if people don't tune in online? What if people don't go to an online Bible study? What if people fall away from their faith? What if people this? What if people that? And I panicked. And my fear was rooted in what I could do not just trusting the process and trusting the Lord. And then you begin to say like, wow, did we really labor for the past seven years to start a church that's all gonna fall apart because people started getting sick around the world? And then you begin to question God's goodness. You begin to question, is God faithful? Is he gonna do everything that he said he was gonna do? That's fear. Faith says, God's gonna bring us through this. Everything's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be okay. Will there be some that fall away? Yes, but there's some that was going to fall away anyways. And they didn't fall away because we didn't have church services for 12 weeks. They fell away because their faith wasn't rooted in Christ. So, I'm just going to trust in God's track record. And again, you read the book of Genesis through Revelation, you'll see God's always been faithful, and he will always be faithful. And I can trust in the promises of his word. Final thought. Be willing to be bold in your stand for Jesus. Maybe some of you this year, this is your time to come out as a Christian and quit being an undercover Christian, quit trying to fly under the radar. And again, I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about, you know, being obnoxious with your faith. Just be willing to say, hey, I'm willing to be a Christian and I don't care what people think about it. I'm willing to, to listen to Christian radio in the car. I'm willing to take my Bible to work and set it on my desk. I'm willing to take a stack of flyers and from who we call and set them on my desk. If somebody wants one, they can take it. I don't care if people know that I'm a Christian. I'm willing to let my faith be known. I don't have any reason to fly under the radar. I don't have any reason to be quiet about my faith. I don't have any reason to be fearful of being a Christian. Why? Because the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous, they're bold as a lion. I can stand in the boldness because I know who my faith is in. I know where my trust lies. And I know that he's faithful. I read an article, or a, a quote by C.S. Lewis uh, several weeks ago. It just, it hit home to me. There's a quote that he had about people talking about the atomic bomb back in the 40s. Here's a quote that he said, I think it's so relevant today. And please understand before I, I share this quote with you, I'm not in any way whatsoever minimizing the, the, our global pandemic or this sickness that is causing people to die or the seriousness of it. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm not saying that this is a government conspiracy or a cover-up. I'm not talking about the fact that this is not, that people aren't really dying from this. So please understand that. I'm not saying that we, you know, should blow up all wisdom with this. But here's what he says. And one day, when, one way we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb, how are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. 
Or indeed, as you're already living in an age of cancer, in an age of syphilis, in an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, in an age of railway accidents, or an age of motor accidents. In other words, don't let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And a quite high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It's perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is a point to be made. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, to find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep, thinking about bombs that may break our bodies. A microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. And I read that and I thought to myself, I don't want to live my life in fear. I don't want to be scared about what might come. I don't want to sit at home and not leave because I'm so afraid. And again, I'm not talking about being unwise. Uh, the, the gym that I go to, uh, I've gone to for the last five years, I haven't been since March of last year. And I almost went back a couple of months ago and because they've done a lot of ridiculous over-the-top uh, things. They've taped off a square where you can't leave your square. You've got to wear a mask when you work out. You've got to wipe down your equipment before and after. And you've got to mop with bleach water when you're done. And you only one person allowed uh, through at a time. You've got to sanitize your hands when you come in. You've got to check in ahead of time. There's 25 different precautions you've got to take before you ever get to lift a single weight. I told my wife, I think I'm going to go back to the gym because, you know, that's the number one place that I encounter unsaved people and try to invite them to church. And we've had people saved and baptized and discipled through, through the gym that I go to. And she said, okay. And when she says it like that, you know something's up. And so I said to her, what is that even supposed to mean? Can I not go to the gym? She said, I know they're being safe and I know you're going to be safe. She said, but if, just say. You were to get something and bring it back to the 200 plus people that you're in contact with every single week. She said, I just think that would be really unwise. And she said those last few words and it just like in the gut, you know, because I spend my life encouraging people to be wise, right? And so for her to say, this is unwise. Now, I did not go back to the gym because I was scared. I didn't go back because I was fearful. I went back because it just wasn't wise right now doesn't mean that I won't ever go back or that I might not go back soon. But at the time, it was unwise. And so I'm not unwise. I'm encouraging you to not be ruled by fear. Whether it's the sickness, whether it's a fear of death, whether it's a fear of losing your job or a fear of what other people might think of you, we cannot allow fear to run the show. Fear doesn't call the shots. Faith does. Fear doesn't run my life. My faith does. Faith doesn't inform my decisions. God's word does. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to be scared of everything that goes bump in the night because I know this, my God is faithful. Most important thing in the world for you today, you don't know for sure that you're saved. Friend, you don't have access to the boldness and faith that we do as Christians. 
And so I want to encourage you, if there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, let today be that day and you will unlock for you a totally new life that you've never dreamed of. But for those of us that are Christians, oh, this is your time, this is your year, this is your opportunity to live your life in a boldness like you never have before. We're not going to be ruled by fear. We're not going to be afraid this year. We're going to follow guidelines and we're going to be safe and we're going to follow to the most part what our government uh, gives us the guidelines to do. But I'm not buying the line that I need to be afraid of something. I'm just not. I want to be wise. I want to walk in wisdom. I want you to do the same. But this year, we get the golden opportunity to live by faith. And I'm praying that at the end of 2021, our faith will be stronger than it was today. I'm praying that at the end of 2021, if I ask, hey, how many folks were added to our church this year, that there'll be a whole host of hands that go up of people that were added to our church. Hey, how many people got saved this year at, at Huicala? We'd have a host of hands that go up. I'm praying that coming up in a couple of weeks as we baptize folks, that we'll look at that and go, wow, praise God that people are being saved and baptized and added to Jesus' church. I pray that this week as we kick off our discipleship, right now we've got probably 15 folks that are signed up that want to grow in their faith. If you think about that for a second, 15 people that are, want to grow in their faith and 15 people that are going to guide them through that process. That's 30 people in a church of a little over 200. That's over, that's 15% of our churches involved in discipleship this week. That's huge. I don't know of another church in America that's doing things like that. But we don't look at that and say, oh, what a great church we are. We say, what a great God we serve. So God wants to do something this year. Will we allow it? I admit, if you had caught me four weeks ago, I was just saying, we're just going to let 2021 ride, and whatever we got is what we got. We're not going to put anything on the calendar. We're not going to plan ahead. We don't need a New Year's theme. We're just going to coast. But I repented of that because that's not God's will. God's will is that we would hammer down on the throttle this year and press forward to the mark of the prize, the high calling that's found in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you to do that this year as we seek to be bold as a lion. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.